right, let's go to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to spend some time here tonight looking at Lot's error. I don't know what happened, but I was going to do this message a lot sooner. Something must have come up, and, and I just changed my mind on some things. But for those of you who recall, on a uh, Wednesday night, we watched a pretty good apologetic video talking about um, people that believe they found the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the destruction levels there, because of the type of pottery that they found and what happened to the pottery, showing that it, uh, it was not mixed up in a different timeline, so to speak, when this type of pottery would be seen later, but it actually is the result of a massive fire event that burned a majority of the pottery just on a specific side. I think it's glazed or something like that. Uh, but it was really interesting to see what people have discovered about this record with Sodom and Gomorrah. And as a result of that, I wanted to do a study on Lot because Lot is a very good example of a very poor set of decisions that we can make as believers. Um, Lot and Abram traveled together. You're going to see this here, kind of a summary. We'll read through the entire chapter of Genesis 13 tonight. But as a result of some of the things that were going on, Lot was out of Abram's kindness, he wasn't Abraham yet, he's still referred to as Abram in the scripture here, he was given a, an, an option, you know, you look where you look and wherever you want to go, you can go, but he made a decision based on some circumstances, some things that he had in his mind that we see throughout the foresight of scripture that, that were not correct. And he's a good model of a poor set of decisions that believers can make. This can happen to you and me, especially those of us who are working in ministry we're working closely with people. We're trying to see what God's will is for our life. But the mistake that we end up making is we start to try and make our desires God's desires too. The scripture says that if we submit to do what God wants us to do, then he will change the desires of our heart. I've always been amazed by that truth found in the Proverbs that if I commit my works to the Lord, then my thoughts are going to be established. You know, a lot of hubbub is made about that word repent, but if we just look at what it means, a change of mind, what this is telling us here is that as I work for the Lord, as I submit and do what he wants me to do, and I'm obedient to him, the things that I dwell on, the things that are important to me, he's going to bring to the forefront of my mind. I'm just realizing I didn't turn on my uh, microphone. That should work now. Testing, one, two, three. Very good. All right, very good. So what, I, what I've come to see in my Christian life is the more that I just do what I'm supposed to do, not try to shoot you know, too big, not try to play too small, God will take care of the rest. And you know, just speaking from personal experience, many of you know we have an adopted daughter. That was something that you know, when Kyle and I got married, we knew from the very beginning, even while we were dating, I, I said very plainly, like, I cannot give you a family. I can't do that. It just was not something that was possible. And we prayed and just asked for the Lord's will to be done. Not really anything specific, but as we started experiencing more years in marriage, we, we really had a desire to have children. And so we knew that was one of two ways, either foster care or through adoption. And when we looked at adoption, I mean, the prices are astronomical. I, I told you as we went through this adoption journey, I I saw some cases that were near eighty, ninety, ninety-five thousand dollars, and you're talking about just to kind of get started. The legal fees could mount after that if there's a contested adoption. There was so much, and I knew, I knew, 
unless God were to bless us with exactly what we needed. That just, that's not what I came from. I didn't come from that kind of money. That was things you know, I didn't deal with. But we routinely got on our knees in prayer and just gave it to God. And there was no, I'm giving it to God, but I'm harboring this resentment that I don't have it yet. Because I, I see that play out in a lot of believers' lives. They pretend to give things to God, but they really still hold on to it for themselves. And, and that's not trusting the Lord. That's trusting yourself to strong arm, uh, strong arm God, and that's, that's not going to work. And in January of 2022, we're just coming back from a vacation up there in North Carolina, and somebody reaches out to our family and says, I want to provide all the financial needs for you to have a successful adoption. That is a result of just giving it to the Lord. I can see now, when, when, we have our, when we look at Remy and we see what God has done, we can see, I know that she's a part of God's plan for our life. We didn't try to do anything special. We didn't try to do anything uh, you know, obnoxious or abnormal to try and say, oh, look at how this came about. We just trusted God. And I love that about our story. I really do. Because, you know, there's, there's a stigma that can sometimes come with adoption that you're a very wealthy person. Folks, the wealth that I have is not here. It's in heaven. I have spiritual blessings and, I, and, and I've got everything in Christ. But I know when I get to share our story about adoption, man, I get to share how God provided. And we see that time and time again. But the mistake with Lot is he saw what was convenient, what was close, and what was already established. And he made a decision that that's going to be better for me now, and he assumed it was going to be better in the long run. But there were, situ there, there were situations with, with circumstances and people there that whether he knew about it or not, he came to the knowledge of it and didn't honor God. But it started with this story here in Genesis 13. And so I think it's profitable to go through these things because I want you to know, as you serve the Lord, you will have needs. I'm not talking about you're going to have wants, you know. We may want a different car or want a different living situation or want a better paying job or want better health. Those are wants, okay? We can get along without them. I'm talking about real needs. I know some people here tonight, you got needs. You're bringing it to the Lord daily. And you're waiting for God to provide. Wait for him. That's, I think, the lesson here is, is wait for God to give what he promised he will give. Abram waited. Lot settled. He looked for what was close, established, and available. And Abram just continually looked to God. And you'll see that as we go into the New Testament later on today. You'll see what was written about Lot and what was written about Abraham. It's, you know, two different things. Both children of God, I believe the scripture makes that very clear, but they didn't make the right decisions. One of them made a better decision and one of them made the wrong decision. So let's take a look here. I've got four points that we're going to look at tonight. Uh, so make sure that you're following along. We'll be bouncing around a lot, just the style of how we've got it planned for tonight. But starting in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. That's very important to note. He had a lot of material wealth. And as a result of that, he's not transferring that digitally. Okay, you get what I'm saying? That's all coming with him. It was a caravan of those things, cattle and then weighty material things. And remember, they were you know, kind of a Bedouin-style 
travel, nomadic, meaning they went to a place, got to a place, set up camp, and as soon as that place was not convenient, they would break down camp and move on to the next place. You know, we go to an address tonight. We go back to our townhouses or our homes or our apartments or wherever. They kind of moved, their homes moved with them. That was a style uh, back in that day, and, th- and that's really what it means to sojourn, to, you know, to walk around. They walked around in Egypt, had some established places here and there, but they're kind of going around in the promised land. The, the promise has already been given, and now Abram is just faithfully going forth. I read a really good insight that said he, he had brought Lot with him because if there, was, you know, if, if there was no seed provided as the promise was, and we know that Abraham had some doubt because he went into Hagar and had Ishmael. So we know that while he believed and it was credited to him for righteousness, there was still doubt that traveled with him. Some people think that he brought along Lot because if the seed did not come to pass, well then Lot could bring that forth through something established there. Of course, we know that God did exactly what he said he was going to do. Sarah had a child with Abraham and called his name Isaac, and the covenant, the everlasting covenant, was promised to him, not to Ishmael, who was several years before, but he was not the seed of the promise. What was the promise? You will bear seed with Sarah. And Abraham did not believe that to the full extent at some point. Regardless, he's traveling with all of these people. Lot has his stuff too. And look at verse 3. And he went on his journeys from the south to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, to Bethel, and high unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. You should compare these two things. Abram in verse 2 had a lot of material possessions as did Lot. So it's a very congested way to travel. And this brought about some issues. Okay, And this, this, these issues come to light in verse 6. And the land was not able to bear them. What does it mean when the land is not able to bear you? You're too big for your britches. Okay, That size 38 is not enough anymore. You're looking at what you have and you say, this is not going to be sufficient for everybody. For their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Now, that could be one problem, and it was one problem, but another problem came as a result of it. And I want you to notice here, there was a problem of circumstances, and then there was a problem of soul. There was an issue that came up in verse 7, and there was strife. You should mark that, pay attention to that, between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and Perizzite dwelled Uh, than in the land. So not only did they have problems with each other, but they had problems with those around them, and it led to a lot of issues. I want to stop here for a second, and this is my first point. They were traveling irritations because carnality breeds strife. This is what happens, even to the best of us. If we're not careful, if we're not abiding with the Lord, right? If we're not loving one another, you can seem like everywhere you go, you're bumping into somebody that bothers you. You ever woke up and uh, you're just in a bad mood? I know you have. Uh, you might not want to admit it, but we all have just had those days where it seems like everything is off just five degrees. And anybody says anything, we're ready to scrap. We're waiting for someone to try us so that we can just vent, right? Well, that is as a result of carnality. Hold your spot here. We're going to do some traveling now. Hold your spot in Genesis. I'm actually going to 
bear with me just a moment. I'm going to use these bookmarks that I always used to tear out <laughs> before. I love them now. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. And there's some problems there. Things are not going well. He's just gotten past his address about the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man, about how the things of God are perceived by those who are spiritual, how the world does not understand these things. He talks about stumbling blocks for a little bit. But as he starts to get into the specifics, he does what a doctor does, okay? He gives you a diagnosis. Sometimes that can be a very scary thing. We go, we have problems, we go to the doctor, we wait patiently for the doctor's results. I do want to say, those of you who have been praying for our daughter, um, as you know, she was exposed in utero to methamphetamine throughout the, the, probably the length of the pregnancy. And we had some things scheduled for her uh, to just check out her brain. She had some head wobbling things that we were concerned about. She's a little delayed on some milestones, which, you know, every kid's their own kid. But uh, we just wanted to make sure because there's just a dark cloud of uncertainty. And you want to make sure, rule out anything. We got the results back this week while we were on vacation. Everything looks good. There's no spots in her brain that were deprived of oxygen that would be called dead. And those things don't, you know, in, in, in many cases that can lead to cognitive issues like calculation, speech, uh, the regulation of emotions. Uh, but there's no lesions. There's no abnormally small capillaries. The only thing is her brain is a little underdeveloped. And they use a big word for that, brain maturation or delayed brain maturation. Simple, nice words. Brain's a little smaller than what it should be at this point. But as long as she's hitting her milestones and stuff, then everything's good. So we give that to the Lord. And we say thank you. And we recognize, I believe, that he had her, he's got a plan for her, and that's to be cared for by us. And, and so we trust the Lord in that. And even if there was something tragic or difficult, we could still trust the Lord and, and, and praise him that, he's with the family that, can, that she's with the family that uh, can provide for her. But, you know, there's a little bit of anxiety. You're waiting. You're just kind of waiting. You get a phone call from a strange number, and you realize that someone wanting to st- you know, sell you a car warranty, and it's not the doctor. <laughs> you know, you're kind of waiting for a call. We've all been there. Paul gives a spiritual diagnosis here of the people in Corinth, and it's not a good result. It's not a good diagnosis. Look what he says in verse 3. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you... Now, he lists a bunch of things envying and strife and divisions are ye not carnal and walk as men what this tells the reader here is that envying strife divisions equal carnality which is the way men walk that's exactly what was happening with abram and lot's herdsmen and the people around them It should not have been that big of a problem that there was limited space. How much land did God promise to Abram? I mean, far as you can see. And you're actually going to see later on in Genesis, he, for the third time, expounds upon the promise. We'll look at that at the time. But we see that this carnality of men breeds strife. And the next thing I want you to see is in Titus chapter 3. So go over there to Titus chapter 3. And what I want you to see here is that Strife is the nature of men. Look at our politics today. And I really want you to take that in the vein that I'm saying it. I'm not saying look at which one is right. That's not what I'm saying. 
Just look at the, pay attention, the nature of our politics today. I started getting real serious when uh, President Trump ran. And I just, you know, all I did was, you know, because that was kind of a record at the time. There were so many people on the, from the GOP that were trying to win the nomination. I know the cost. I know that people have shed their blood to protect that right to vote. Every time I go vote and I have to stand in a long line, I, I get overwhelmed by the fact that somebody died to preserve this right for me. I, and I don't think we should forget that. And I don't, I don't care what the polls say. You go vote. You go do that. That's a good thing. But anyway, I started looking and I saw a lot of immaturity in our politics. People that if they had to run my household, I'd pick none of them. I would, none of, I'd say, I'll learn it, you know? But there's a lot of strife and contention. So this last time, because in the 2020 election cycle, President Trump just won the nomination, you know, automatically, so there wasn't a lot of debating. And the debating on the Democratic side was just as bad as what it is now. But I was paying attention this last time, it's the same thing. I already told you about this before. I think it's amazing when someone is asked a question that they answer it with a totally different answer. That's like if I say, Trent, what's your favorite color? And Trent says, I believe that clean energy is the best energy. <laughs> what's your favorite color? Um, I yield. You know? That, there's a problem with that. You can't answer a question directly. There's some type of issue there. But this striving on both sides, Democrat, Republican, Independent, whoever it is, that someone's always trying to get over somebody else in whatever means they can. I remember when Ted Cruz was running in 2016. All this stuff came out about him, and it, it, it sank his race. And Ben Carson, same thing. Why is that? Because it's the nature of man. That's not how a believer should behave. It's the nature of man. Look at what it says here in Titus 3.3. For we ourselves also were, when he says were here, it's talking before their conversion, before they came to faith in Christ, sometimes foolish. Well, can you look at man and say foolish is an accurate definition? You don't have to agree. I, I know. <laughs> it's, it's true. Disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, Living, living, listen to this, living in. This is not something that they just do from time to time. This is how they live. Living in malice, envy, hateful, hating one another. If I can have your eyes for a moment. Isn't this like the, the thrust of social justice? The social justice movement will never be satisfied. Never it will never be satisfied. It will devour and devour and devour until there's nothing left. It's the nature of man. Hateful and hating one another. I'm finally, by the way, I finally cut all the cords of social media. My Facebook got hacked from Germany a couple weeks ago. Facebook wanted two forms of identification and my picture holding my driver's license. And I said, bye-bye, I'm done. So if you do want to reach me, you can email me you know, the church email, because I know there were things like Facebook Messenger and all that that were very profitable. But boy, even there, when I had, I had trimmed through my friends list and I had blocked a whole bunch of advertisers and all this, still hate would come through. Still hating one another would come through. Look at verse 4. 
but after. Notice the transition, verse 3, also were sometimes, verse 4, but after. The kindness and love of God our Savior appeared towards men, uh, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, by the way. You see in context what he means here? Because what did we do before we were saved? We hated, deceived, lusted. <laughs> uh, we lived in malice and envy and, and hatefulness, hating one another. It wasn't until we saw the love of the Savior that we could see there's another way to life. There's a way that our sins can be paid. It's through him. We trust in him. Not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So now as a believer, you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You have a new nature and you can do things that honor God. Look at verse 6. Which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is the faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly. What he means here is pay attention. That they which have believed in God, raise your hand if you put your trust in Jesus Christ. This applies to you. Might be careful to maintain good works. Why, Titus? These things are good and profitable unto hateful, malicious, pleasure-seeking, deceived, disobedient, foolish men of who you once were. And those are the problems that were happening with Lot's herdsmen and Abram's herdsmen. That's why Abram came to the resolution that he came to. But one other thing here, look in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 10. As you're turning there, Proverbs, there's 31 of them. If you read a proverb a day, within two months, you'll get through the whole thing. You know, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I don't know how true that is, but I will tell you, a proverb a day keeps the devil away. Now listen, you might think, wow, that's pretty slick what he just said. I, have, I am not the first one to say that. My uncle Jeff Taylor was the first one to tell that to me. And before we had any time outside as kids, before we would be able to play any video game, any board game, whatever it was, we had to read our Bible. And I'm thankful for that. At the time, didn't appreciate it as a kid. Didn't realize the, the power that was in it. Well, now, love it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. Notice, only by pride cometh contention. So let's just say as an example, I'm running the church here and we've got, let's just say as an example, staff issues come up. <clears throat> People are bitter with one another. And it's lasting for a long time. I know I don't have to peer deep into the crystal ball and say, show me what the problem is. I know if there's contention, it's the result of pride. In somebody, in somebody, if there's contention, there's pride. Someone is lifting themselves up over somebody else. You know how easy that makes the next staff meeting or the one-on-one -on -one conversations? All I have to do is, is mention pride. And if the person is at least honest, we can have a discussion about it. And I'm not, you know, headhunting like, where's the person with pride? There they are. Boom! Blow them away. I found it. What, what am I trying to do? I want to heal that. I want that to get better so that the whole conflict can be resolved. So if we saw contention with Abram's people and Lot's people, why was that there? Pride. Look at the rest of this verse. Uh, Only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. 
I love seeking counsel. It's one of my, it's, it's, it's one of the things that I really enjoy the most. And I am so blessed, and I say this with 100% authenticity, that the men and women I have sought counsel from are godly men and women. They don't have a bunch of credentials behind their names that the world would say, oh yeah, you should go to that person. But they're children of God. And they love Jesus. And when I ask them questions, they give me answers. And sometimes I go, oh, I knew that, but I don't want to do that. And I can tell them that honestly, and we pray. There's, a, there's an executive pastor up in Chicago that helped me through a very difficult time, but he made time for me and he prayed with me. That impressed me. It wasn't, I'm going to pray for you. He said, let's pray. Called me back the week after, asked for a status report. I gave him one. He said, let's pray. Brought me to the prayer group there in Chicago. Man, I want people like that. With the well-advised comes what? Wisdom. What is in comparison here? Pridefulness and wisdom. Contention and the well-advised. You'd be wise to see that and apply it in your life. Let's go back to Genesis 13. We got some problems. Land's too big. There's outside conflict. There's internal conflict. Abram comes to a resolution. And we can see that Abram is a little more mature in the way he solves this problem. He says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife. You may have done this in your life where, you know, this happens in family gatherings a lot. We're coming up on big ones, folks, where people just really like to, you know, go headhunting at Thanksgiving. Uh, You know, you find yourself in that situation, tell yourself, Let there be no strife. And if you find out you're the one causing strife, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> and you might go, but I want to. Okay, analyze that and say, stop wanting to. <laughs> you know, do the, do, the, do the wise thing. Don't merely poke and prod one another to get a reaction. Nobody, that, that's not love. That's immaturity. But he says, let there be no strife, verse 8. I pray thee between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. We're the same family here. We don't need all of this. Is it not the whole land? And look, this shows you Abram's knowledge of the promise. Look what he says. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. Thou wilt take the left hand, and I will go to the right. If thou depart to the right hand, I will go to the left. He's saying, you make the choice, Lot. I want to solve the strife. I want it to be over. You take the left, I'll take the right. Vice versa. You take the right, I'll take the left. But let's come to a solution. I want you to see some things about Abram's proposal here, which is my second point. Our conduct with the fellow believer and with our fellow man should be without strife. You go to solve a problem, it should be without strife. There should be no gotcha. There should be no catch. Look in, uh, hold your spot in here and look in Philippians chapter 2. We have some instructions about this kind of behavior. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 14, page 1259. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. I like this verse because it's plain, simple. How many things should I do without murmuring and disputing? All things. Does that involve how I speak to my wife? it does pastor how do you know it's part of all things does that involve how I deal with those who hate me 
Mm. Yes, it does. Does that involve my fellow brother and sister in Christ? Mm-hmm. Sure does. Does it involve my vengeful and dishonest employer? Yeah, it does. How about our corrupt government? Hmm. Yes, we should do all things without murmuring and disputing. And it doesn't mean just the external stuff. Is there stuff that goes on up here? Right? Give a friend a hug, pat the back. It's not encouragement. You're looking where to place the knife. That's a problem, folks. That's murmuring and, and, and disputing. If we get to the point at Calvary where our board meetings were bringing shotguns, there's a problem. Right? Yeah, let's figure it out. <laughs> That's not going to work. Or there's constant back and forth. Something's wrong there. Something's wrong there. Look at 1 Peter 4 9. By the way, don't you like the practicality of the word? We're just able to see it, and there's a choice to obey or disobey. 1 Peter 4 and verse 9 says this Use hospitality one to another without grudging. I don't think believers should use phrases like this, you owe me one. Or you better open the door when I need you. Or remember this, just just be kind as God has been kind towards you. Amen? That puts everything into focus. I remember uh, using binoculars as a kid for the first time. Look through it, I'm like, what is this? Then my uncle showed me how you could change it. It blew my mind. I know it's simple as a kid, but it blew my mind how the, the, the smudginess, murkiness became crystal clear that still to this day, I could be amused for several minutes with some binoculars. It's just like, wow, you know? That brings things right into focus. Well, why should I be kind? Don't you know what they've done to me? Yeah, what has God done for you? Hmm. Case made. I'll change my ways. Abraham's response was full of peace and resolution. Look at Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. In verse 18. If it be possible, and I think it's impossible when the circumstances said it, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably, with your favorite people. No. <laughs> Someone said amen. I don't know. We can't do that. Live peaceably with the body of Christ. Mm-mm. All men. This is why it's a personal... It irks me when I see believers treating the lost people with hatred. I just... I see things like this and I say, you really have to reconsider your approach here. That's why, you know, street preaching has its place. I've seen it done well rarely, but most of the time it's done incorrectly. They're speaking the truth, but it's not in love. Do we want people to go to hell? Or do we want them to change their mind and put their trust in Jesus? And you might say, well, Jesus flipped tables. Okay, Jesus had sinlessness, okay? That, 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 that doesn't mean it's, you know, it's my ministry. As Christ did, so, so will I. I will go into churches and flip tables. That's, 
when I went and visited that church this past week. I was very careful with the way I treated that pastor. I have respect for his position. I know there were some things that we discussed, but it was all, I did not come in there with a bone to pick, like, how dare you? I wanted to, can I do anything to plant the seed of the gospel? And I told him the next time, you know, because this cabin we went to is, it's kind of like in our circle of, uh, of friends, so it's, it's available there for us. I said, next time, I'm, I want to come here. Want to come see you again? I'm praying for you guys. We exchanged information. Live peaceably with all men. Abram's response, go back to Genesis 13. I can't believe we don't have, the, we're so out of, we're running out of time. But Abraham's response was, let's solve this without murmuring and disputing, right? We need to live peaceably with one another. We need to be kind to one another without grudging. Yeah, a lot. You remember when I let you go pick whatever you want? Yeah, you owe me. I don't think that's Abram's attitude. Third point is we see Lot's greed. It's exactly what it is. It's greed. It's been said about you know, stocks and markets and stuff. It's motivated by greed or by fear. And you know that's true in the stock market, but I think it can be true in a person's life too. You can be motivated by fear. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I'm not prepared enough. Or you can be motivated by greed. I want everything that I can get. I deserve everything that I can get. You know what solves those two things? Being content with what you have. Being content. Lot lifted up his eyes, verse 10, beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, it looked like the garden of Eden. Good. That's, that's uh, can I have your eyes for a second? That's move in ready. <laughs> Every time I read this, I think of that. When you read a real estate listing, it's move in ready. Right? We like that as people that, we don't work with our hands. We go, hmm, yes, this is what I want. The least amount of work required. Look good. But there's a note here. Look at the note. Like the land of Egypt, in which they would be brought into bondage, of which they just came out of. Look similar. As thou comest unto Zor, then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. He looked at that, he was like, mm-hmm, that's move-in ready. Not much work to do there. Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. And there's a classification here. Not only were they wicked and sinful before the Lord, but the classification of that sinfulness was exceedingly when you are exceeding over the speed limit, it's not that you're driving at 15 over. You are driving 15, then 16, then 17. It's increasing until it's out of control. That was Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, whether Lot knew that or not, he came to the knowledge of it, did he not? We know that he did. For the sake of time, you know 1 John 2, 15 through 17. All the three classifications, the pride of life, Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, all those things there. That's what he saw. Notice here, I, I just want to draw it out again. It was well watered, verse 10. It was flat. It looked ready to go like the Garden of Eden did. I mean, when God finished the garden, there wasn't a zone that said, you know, T 
TBD completion. <laughs> there wasn't caution tape on the one area where he's like, yeah, we're waiting for the you know, union thing to figure itself out. It was all done. It was perfect. There were no problems with it. So that's the description of the land that Lot picked. He was looking for what was convenient, established, and close. But the important thing to note here is that no one can hide from God's judgment, from his eye, his discerning eye. And we will take time to look at this in Hebrews. Will you look at this with me here for a moment? Hold your spot in Genesis. Go over to Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 13. Hebrews 4.13. You know Hebrews 4.12 about the word of God, quick and powerful. Sharpen anything to it. That's good. There's, there's a couple more verses here that are just as good. Look what it says. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest or made known in his sight. There's nothing that God looks down on the earth and says, I've never seen that before. That was hidden from me. But all things, and there's a really vivid description here, are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. That doesn't mean that God sees everybody without clothes. It's not what it means. It means that he sees everyone without any restriction. There's no depth that you can go to where you are hidden from God, nor is there any height you can travel to where you are hidden from God. Isn't that interesting? Because a lot of people think they can hide themselves from God. And you know what's been, what I think is a, a very good sign of the times, is how open and brazen sinfulness is today. I mean, it's everywhere, folks. It's, in our, it's been in our music culture for a long time. People name themselves after demons now as artists. They, they, they mark upon their bodies to signify who they serve. You know, these award shows, all that is for me is it's kind of a temperature check for what's going on in Hollywood. You got a sick, sick kid over there, you know? Check the thermostat. Well, the, therm the, the fever's getting worse. They can't hide from God. I think people know that, and they don't care. But there are some people who think they can hide, you know, well, it's not that bad. No one knows. Well, God does. God knows. All right, back to Genesis 13. We'll conclude here. We see Lot's made his decision. That was his error. He motivated off of greed, convenience, availability, proximity. But Abram, something different about our friend Abram. Not to say that Lot was not our friend either. He just made a poor decision that led to more poor decisions. Look at verse 14. The Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up thine eyes. Look from the place where thou art, northward and southward, eastward and westward. Now, in their culture, you kind of looked at the span of things as an east to west thing. The fact that north and south was included, it's a full circle of vision. Whatever you see here, not just to your east or to your west, whatever you see here, look what he says. For all the land which thou seest, I will give it to thee, and to thy seed forever. 
I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, the length of it and the breadth of it. Look here, length of it, breadth of it. God's saying, I'm going to give it all to you. Abram didn't have to choose in this moment. He already chose to believe God. Now, sometimes he's a little, needed a little rap on the skull. Hello, you still with me? But I think God knows that. And he gets specific to him. There's something important about this arise and walk through the land and the length of it. If you do a cultural analysis in this time, invading armies would claim the possession of the city that they invaded by walking the length of it. Whatever they walked over after they overtook the powers there, they said, this is ours. I found that in a commentary, and I thought that was really unique and interesting because it's exactly what God said for Abraham to do. You walk it. And you saw, I didn't put it in tonight's lesson, but you saw when we did that two-part about the, land is, the, the promised land is still promised, we saw the length that Abraham walked. It's exactly what God defined as the terms for the promised land. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Abraham was reminded of the fullness of God's promise, reminded that God would be the one that brings it about. Look at very, very closely. Look at verse 15. To thee I will give it. Lot said, I will take what I see is good. Abram said, I'm going to trust that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Boy, be that person. Please be that person that just is satisfied with the fact that God will do it. That's a great place to be, isn't it? Because we're not trusting in a God who has a 98% success rate. I mean, it's funny. You look at the World Series right now. They're, they're going to try and play at least however many games they need to determine a winner. They need to at least play four for that if someone's going to sweep the series. But I love it when you go into the World Series and the guys that were delivering all year, they're, they're batting horrible. It's like, what happened? Christian Walker and the Diamondbacks, he's, he's a great player in the regular season. He gets to the postseason, he's batting like 096. By the way, that's not good. And then Marcus Simeon with the Rangers, this guy's an all-star. He's hitting every series, he's just doing really good. Gets to the playoffs, he's batting 113. Also not good. Better than .096. But that's not going to win you a championship if you're in the third slot of the lineup. What happens? They're men. God doesn't weaken in prime time. He's batting a 1,000. He's hitting the ball every time. That's why I don't think there's going to be golf in heaven. What's the point? You swing off the tee, it goes in the hole. No fun. Forget that. If you shank a shot of golf in heaven, something's wrong with heaven. Okay? That's another study for another day. <laughs> but in conclusion here, I want you to see there's actually some light that we get shed on Abraham's decision here. Look in Hebrews chapter 11 with me, please. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. And this is where we'll close tonight. I'm thankful that you're here. I pray this has been an encouragement to you as it has been an encouragement and a reminder to me. But I want you to see 
that he obeyed by faith. Look in verse, 11, uh, verse 8 of Hebrews 11, page 1301 if you have a loaned Bible from the church in the pew here. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. That's how he demonstrated his faith. And he went out not knowing whither he went. I see that illustration here, that, that decision with Lot. And you know, Lot makes a decision. He, he goes to the place that looks good. It's, it's a wise investment, right? It's you know, location, location, location. It looks good. But Abram, he just obeyed God. And look what it says here. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is who? God, not the hands of the craftsmen in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know that you have a home waiting for you in heaven now? I think we can forget that. I think we can be bogged down by the now and forget what we've already got. I'm not looking for better property here. <laughs> Do you know what's going to happen to all the real estate here? <laughs> 12740. I'm not going to give my address. I just realized this is online. <laughs> but my place, <laughs> I've given you part of it. Have fun. <laughs> my place is not going to endure into the new heaven and the new earth. I'm not going to go, yep, don't worry, God, you don't have to tell me. I know where I'm going. That place that I'm at right now, it'll be gone. This place, gone. This earth, gone. We're not looking for better worldly possessions. We're looking for a city whose builder is God. You know, there's going to be no sun, S-U-N, in the new heaven and new earth. We'll have the Lamb. We don't get that. That doesn't fit our little brains. Our little science goes, no, no, not possible. But with God, all things are possible. Ooh, now that makes sense. When I'm traveling through the Blue Ridge Parkway, and I'm going to overlook after overlook after overlook. I'm, I'm all, I got this in the, the it's, it's usually in the back of my brain, but now it comes to the forefront. Everything that I see, these beautiful leaves, these gorgeous trees, the way the sun hits this mountainside, it's just... Mm. nothing will compare to what's going to be in heaven. Amen. This is bad. Not worthy to be compared to what's in heaven. That kind of blows my mind. Because that's beautiful. People spend millions of dollars to own property up there so they can see that. I'm going to spend an eternity in something way better, if we can even say way better. Remember that. Live in that truth. This is great. We really have a lot to be excited for tonight. I know we got work tomorrow and bills coming on the first, but who cares? And don't you want to tell as many people as you can so they can be there with you? And when you boil it all down, what's the common denominator between all of it? Jesus Christ. I know. I'm a little more amped than you are right now, but man, this stuff just gets me going. I love it. And it's a great reminder. Someone could go, oh, Genesis 13, yeah, nothing special there. No, there's a lot special there. <laughs> you 
You get your little shovel out and start digging. Get your little separator and start separating. You can close your Bibles. We did that. Oh, it was so fun. We went to this little gemstone mine up there. There were buckets you could buy for $500. And I asked the guy, I was like, who buys a $500 bucket to sift through gems? He says, you know, artisans that come through, shop owners that make this, you know, beautiful jewelry, they'll come and spend 500 bucks and they'll get a lot of money a product as a result. Well, you know, we bought the $10 bucket, <laughs> kid's bucket, you know, you got Remy now, so you can get a kid size anything. So, you know, we're putting this stuff in there and mounds of dirt, you know, she's looking. She was strapped to Kylie, you know, so she's like this. Dad takes it, dad, that's me, by the way, takes it, sifts it through the water, blues and purples and greens and all this stuff, and she just wants to get in it, man. That's how I look at the word. It's like there's so much that we can excavate out of this. Better than a $500 bucket, amen? And it sure ain't kid size. I'll tell you that right now. Let me share with you the greatest news in all the world. This hand represents you and me. This block of sin represents, well, you know exactly what it says. This is sin. Put this on top of my hand because we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the standard of righteousness, which is perfection. We all make mistakes, and that's just who we are. God, he loves us, but he hates our sin. And this, hint, this sin, it separates us from him. We've got to be perfect to have eternal life and be with him forever, but we all fall short. This is our problem. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God forever in a literal fire-burning hell. God loves us very much, so he interceded. But there's a lot of people think, no, I don't need that intercession from God. I'll do it myself. They'll mount up good works like going to church or being a good human, you know, being a nice person, giving a lot of money and saying, these things are sufficient to take care of this sin. But the wages, which means payment for sin, is death. It's not good works. This hand represents the only begotten Son of God whose name is Jesus Christ. And it's just for the sake of the illustration. But Jesus was fully God and fully man, and he didn't have any of this. He was tempted in all points that you and I have been tempted, but he was found without sin. Because he loved the Father and he loved us, he went to that cross 2,000 years ago. And we all know this, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he did that. But here's the problem. If Jesus went to the cross and took our sin and paid for it, then why do people still go to hell? Because if all sin is paid, what's going on here? There's something not adding up. Here's the problem. That payment for sin is not put to our account until we believe in Jesus Christ. Not that he existed, but believe that he, as the Son of God, died on the cross specifically to pay for our sins. All of them. That he was buried and he rose again. For God so loved the world, that's you and me, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever, ooh, I like that word, it's like that verse, all things, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have a certain kind of life, everlasting life. So you can know you're going to heaven, not because you're a good person, because you're not, not because you've turned from all your sin, because you can't, myself included. You can know you're going to heaven because you have believed on Jesus Christ who died on the cross, was buried and rose again to pay for all your sin. That's great news. That's fantastic news. Now, as believers, we have this life to live through. Got some bad news for you. You still have an old sinful nature. You still have a world that hates you. 
But you have a different set of choices now. You have a God who loves you and cares for you. You have a Holy Spirit that has sealed you until the day of redemption, who guides you in all truth. You have a Savior who mediates for you. You have an opportunity to give back. That's good. Don't be caught up in the convenient, the close, the ready-made. Trust God. Trust Him alone. Not only for eternal life, but for all the solutions in this life too. Amen? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here tonight and maybe you, maybe you walked in and said, Pastor, I had no idea where I was going to go when I died. I thought maybe I was good enough. I could try enough. Maybe I'm here tonight because I thought maybe I could get things together so I can start being on my way to heaven. But it makes sense that I could never do enough to be perfect. And so right now, the best I know how, I'm putting my trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If that's you tonight, I'd like to pray for you. I'm going to ask in a moment if you would raise your hand to let me know. Raising your hand doesn't save you. No one's going to come and tap you on the shoulder or ask you to come down the aisle or anything like that. Raising your hand just simply lets me know that you put your trust in Jesus Christ tonight. You know you're going to heaven. If that describes you, would you raise your hand, please? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Tonight I trust in Jesus Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. Praise God. Amen. I see you. Anyone else before we close? The Bible says you're a child of God now. There are promises that are available to you that were not available before you walked in here tonight. I want you to know that you have a bunch of believers here praying for you. And we are so glad that you joined us tonight. For everyone in the room, learn from our study tonight. Look at Lot's motivations, the results of his choices. Consider it when you have similar decisions to make. Look at Abram and see how God is faithful through it all. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the one that has raised their hand and said that they've put their trust in you. They know they're going to heaven now. I pray, Lord, we as a community church would be able to provide education, encouragement. I pray, Lord, for the Iwana program in the back that it would continue to flourish. I thank you for, for Kaylee and all the work that she's doing to learn the piano. We thank you for Dana and her faithfulness for several years now. We pray for Miss Gilbert's healing. Also, thank you for our guest tonight that met the call and helped us with music. We appreciate that. I thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities we have to serve you. Bring us back here safely for our midweek prayer meeting. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Before James comes up, there's just a couple of things I want to mention. Um, I saw Freddie while I was up there in Georgia, and he's doing great. Uh, he's actually traveling, which is really good. Now, he's not driving because of the seizure. He had a six-month limitation on his driver's license. But uh, in the things that I talked with Freddie about, he has some very good insight that the Lord has given him about prayer and about making your requests known. And so I'm going to see if he can come and join us. He said he's willing to travel, and I'm hoping he can come and speak to us uh, in January of next year. I'm going to get a hold of him this week. And another thing I just want to mention to you, the new visitors that came today, they were here this morning. They're children of God. They know they're going to heaven. And I just, I want to share this with you because it just continually blows my mind. We were on a church locator list and they found us. They watched a lot of my videos and said, you check out, you know, you, you got the Bible down. They appreciate that our ministry is pro-Israel. But one of the things that I just see connected is it was a church that Hope 
had mentioned to me that she was connected with Pastor Holthaus, House or Haas, I think, yeah, from California. And I've talked with him four or five times now. We got added to their locator. Hope found us through that. And then we just had another couple that found us through it. And last year, there were two people that came as a result of that. I think that's great. I want you to know that. Because, you know, we pray all the time for God to bring people our way. And praise God, people are trusting Christ and finding clarity. Amen? But please continue to pray for Freddie and pray that he can be able to find good travel to get down here in January. All right, let's all stand together. James is going to come up and lead us in a closing song. Thank you, James. Well, thank you for the message, Pastor Jesse. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. I, I don't know what, I don't know who it was that talked about the French silk pie like that, but that's like it's like bacon. There's there's never a bad place to bring bacon unless it's like a bar mitzvah, I guess. But um, but other than that, bacon bacon is always good. All right, let's do. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. Jesus, my Lord. He is the mighty King, Master of everything. His name is wonderful. My Lord, He's the great shepherd, the rock of all ages, Almighty God is He. Bow down before Him, love and adore. Good night. We hope to see you Wednesday night.